0: So, if you were on social media Thursday, you may have seen something a little odd trending. Uh, a lot of pictures of a dress. Everybody was talking about the dress. And I guess the interesting thing about this dress was that in some pictures, and some people thought it looked blue and black, and others thought it looked white and gold. And some people thought it depended on the picture, others thought it depended on the person. Everybody had something to say about it. Um, And at first, I just thought, oh, well, more evidence of how much time we can waste on absolutely trivial things. But then it occurred to me that Jesus' parables are a lot like the dress. You think it means one thing, and then you learn a new fact, or someone casts it in a slightly different light, and all of a sudden, it seems to mean something else. Take the prodigal son, for instance. You've probably mostly heard it read as an allegory in which the father represents God, whose compassion and mercy are to be imitated, while the younger son represents your average sinner. The elder son represents your average self righteous religious person, whether Presbyterian or Pharisee. And if we identify as the younger son, then, well, we're grateful for our second chances. If we identify with the elder son, we hang our heads and try to be more generous. Many of us can identify with both characters, and some of us who have kids of our own can identify with the father, who loves both his sons, in spite of everything, (laughs) and even if they don't quite understand it. And so then we cherish in our own hearts a new sense of how God must love us, the ferocity and the heartbreak of it. And that is a great way to hear this parable. Maybe it's even the black and blue version, the true the true colors. But today I want to overexpose the photo just a little bit, change up the light, and see if the white and gold version of the parable has anything to teach us. So I'm going to ask you in a minute To suspend your conviction that the Father represents God. And just think of him as Jesus said, a man who has two sons. Because what I want to talk about today is about forgiveness. Not in extreme cases um, and not in the context of abuse, which if you have experienced that and are wrestling with forgiveness, please come talk to one of the clergy about it so we can walk with you. But what I want to talk about today is forgiveness in the context of everyday, ordinary, messy family stuff. Now, there are lots of different kinds of families. We're born into them. We marry into them. We get baptized into them. And if uh, Nell Catherine sticks with us long enough, she'll probably learn that family is one of the best places to learn about forgiveness Because you have so many opportunities to practice it. But that doesn't necessarily make it easy. So listen now for the word of God as it comes to us from the gospel of Luke, chapter 15. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Will you please give me my share of the property, the part that's coming to me? So the father divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son took all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there, He squandered his property in careless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine spread throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him out to the fields to feed the pigs. Now, he would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But he came to himself, and he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up. And I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hire me as one of your servants. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still a ways off, his father saw him. And recognized him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to one of his slaves, go quickly and get a robe, the best one, and bring it and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and go Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. <laughs> and they began to celebrate. Celebrate. Now, the elder son was in the field. And as he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants over and asked him what was going on. And the servant said, Your brother has come home, and your dad has killed the fatted calf because he's glad to have him back safe and sound. And he was angry and he refused to go in. And the father came out to him and pleaded with him. But the eldest. "'Son,' answered the Father, "'All these years, listen, all these years, "'I have worked like a slave for you, "'and never have I disobeyed your command. "'Yet you have never even given me a young goat "'that I might celebrate with my friends. "'And now this... Son of yours comes back, having devoured your property for his own pleasure, and you kill the fatted calf for him? The father said to him, Son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. And now he is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gift and the curse of parables is that even a long one like this leaves a lot to our imagination. But in thinking about forgiveness, imagination is actually a really helpful tool You see, the easier it is for you to imagine what someone else might be thinking or feeling, the easier it is to forgive them. Take the younger son, for example. We know that his older brother looks at him and sees an entitled, selfish brat who shirks responsibility and uses people, even his own family, for his gain. But all the text tells us is that the younger brother asked for his share of the inheritance early, went to a distant land, was careless, and spent all he had. We don't know what his motivation for leaving was. Maybe he was only 16 or 18, and simply longed for that independence that so many of us seek at that age. Maybe his careless living was more about immaturity Than cruelty. Anybody else make some mistakes in college that they regret? Maybe he wasn't crazy um, about being a farmer and wanted to try his hand at something else. Maybe he couldn't stand taking orders from his know it all brother, especially knowing that his elder brother would get the lion's share of the inheritance and then he would be dependent on his smug generosity to continue the lifestyle they were used to. Maybe it was the elder brother who taught him to smoke and drink and gamble in the first place. Maybe their mom died, and in his grief, their father left them for a while, at least emotionally. So often the things we do to hurt each other are themselves born of suffering. Or take the elder brother. It's easy to write him off as a self-righteous, judgmental party pooper, especially if we assume that the father is a stand-in for God. But let's use our imaginations for a minute to hear the real pain behind the elder brother's words however short-sighted or self-centered they might be. For one thing, it's possible that since the younger son's departure, or even before, the father hasn't been particularly attentive to his elder son. It happens sometimes in families that the squeaky wheel always gets the grease, even in absentia. You might notice, for example, that the father doesn't think to send a messenger out to the field to notify his son that his younger brother has returned. He finds out this huge piece of family news secondhand, and they seem to have no qualms about starting the party without him. It's also possible that the father isn't a great listener. Notice that he doesn't even really seem to hear the younger son's confession. He's already giving orders, planning a party. Now, granted, it's hard to complain when someone's planning you a party, but you wonder if he even heard his son, if he even saw this new man that his son had become. Maybe this new man doesn't want the best robe or a party. Maybe he's done with more stuff. Maybe he just wants to have a real conversation with his father for once. Or maybe the father is just one of those people that's so focused on what needs improving that he doesn't say thank you or good job often enough. How easy it is to assume that because we don't need a lot of verbal affirmation that our loved ones don't either. We sometimes take the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, a little too literally, forgetting that we do not all have the same needs or preferences. Maybe the father contributed to the younger son's premature departure. Maybe he was too permissive never setting boundaries or following through with consequences. And so the younger son grew up thinking, anything goes. It's obvious from the elder son's speech that the relationships in this family are broken long before the music and the dancing starts. Whatever the cause, and usually in families, there's not just one cause of tension or alienation, The elder son must bear some responsibility for letting his resentment fester. The point, though, is not to assign blame, but to hold up a mirror to our own families so that we might see how we all have choices that impact the whole system, how none in our families are perfect, and more often than not, our greatest strengths are deeply connected to our greatest weaknesses. The father who is easy to be around, the last to get angry, the first to make you laugh, might be the same father who avoids conflict at all costs and can never bring himself to say, I'm sorry. The brother's tolerance for risk that makes him a successful entrepreneur might also draw him into thrill-seeking behavior, that buries his family in debt. The mother, who worked really hard to become a respected lawyer and provide for her family, can't enjoy vacations with them because she's thinking about work all the time. The sister who's always helping others isn't able to ask for help herself and ends up having a breakdown. Last week, Steve preached about honesty, which is a really important part of forgiveness. The more we can be honest about both the good and the bad in ourselves as well as in others, the easier it will be to forgive. But it's possible to be honest and blind at the same time. It's possible that the younger son, the father, and the elder son were all being honest— about how they felt about things. But if they want to enjoy the party together, they may have to move beyond honesty about how they feel. They may have to actually listen to each other with a spirit of real openness instead of just making assumptions about what the others are thinking or feeling. The parable, read as a story about a real family in conflict, doesn't give us easy answers. It doesn't tell us exactly how this family is able to work it out, what insights or apologies move them closer together. Perhaps it wants us to do that hard work for ourselves in our real families. I know that in my own life, forgiveness has sometimes come very slowly and in stages, an insight into someone's personality here, a realization of my own faults and contributions there, an understanding of the larger family system, a moment of honesty or vulnerability, a look of pain in the other's face, a new fact that changes how I see everything. And sometimes forgiveness has has come as a total gift beyond any of my efforts. One time, in particular, I found myself having to serve communion to someone who had hurt me deeply. As I held out the bread to him, my stomach all in knots, I had to say the same words to him that I said to everyone, This is the body of Christ, broken for you. And by some miracle of the Holy Spirit, I realized that it was true. That Jesus had already done the hard work of forgiveness for me. And the hole in my heart closed up. And even though he never apologized, and to my knowledge he never experienced any of the suffering that I had been wishing upon him for months... I felt healing and I was able to move on. No, this parable doesn't give us an easy checklist that we can use to forgive those who know us best and sometimes have hurt us the most deeply. What it does do for us, though, is hold out a vision of what awaits us on the other side of forgiveness. It's a celebration, a feast. And the question is not who will be invited or who will not be invited. The question is who will be able to enjoy it. As long as the younger son feels unworthy, as long as the elder son doubts his father's love for him or his brother's capacity to change, and until both sons see themselves as brothers once more, There's little hope for any of them. I'm afraid the only way into joy, at least in this parable, is together. The good news is that there's a party waiting for us, a table set for a feast. Forgiveness just may have to be the doorway we have to walk through in order to get there. But if we can't walk, The love of God in Jesus Christ, my friends, can carry us. Amen. Amen.